Boy, say. Hi. We're winding up our consideration of the book of Bamidbar. This Shabbos is the last of this Shabbat, is the last Shabbat of Parshat Bamidbar. And we read the Parshiot of Matot and Mas'ei on this Shabbat. Now, if we look at the last Psukim in the parasha of Mas'ei, which are also the last Psukim in the, par- in the Sefer of Bamidbar, they tell an interesting story. And it's a story, as opposed to a, a something permanent. Stories are things that happen. Now, they may provide us with lessons, but they're just about something that happened. What is this story about? Look in the in the uh, the sheet. Vayikrivu Rasheha Avot Lubishvachat Bene Gilad Ben Machir Ben Minashe Mimishbechot Bene Yosai. They say it's a story. Vayikrivu. Vayikrivu means they came to the Beitin of Moshe Rabbeinu. Who came? Rasheha Avot. Let's say important people. Important people from this family, the sons of Gilad, who was the son of Machir, who was the son of Menasheh, we have the whole uh, uh, genealogy. You have the whole genealogy of these people who came, and we learn that they are the children. that even though no one ever calls me but the last time I said that somebody called me so it's like you know so I can't take any chances <laughs> so they came These, what did they come for? why did the children of Menashe who was a child of Yosef why did they come to the Beit Din? so this is a this story is entirely told in the in the Chumash, it's not a mysterious story. Pasuk Bet says, "Vayomru et Adonitzi vaHashem latetet haAretz benachala begoral livnei Yisrael." So we start off being reminded of the fact that Eretz Yisrael is going to be divided begoral. We don't know exactly what that means. Right, to have a a pious right to to be able to pull out of the hat uh, uh, pieces of paper that tell you where you're going to be because uh, the impression we have is that it was decided it was decided by some other means in other words the goral was not a real goral but that's a, that's a different that's a different story and now you remember Slavchad died he only had daughters and the daughters were afraid that the Nachala that the inheritance the land that would have gone to Slavchad would not go to him because the daughters they didn't know what the status of daughters inheriting their father was do the daughters inherit so they came and they asked a shayla. At the end, the Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know, but a Kodesh Bochum told to Bnei Yisrael, told told the people, Adoni Tzuvah Bashem, 
This was a Kiddush. I mean, we didn't, uh, Moshe Afeinu didn't know the halacha, and the girls didn't know the halacha, and the tribe didn't know the halacha, but at the end, there was some sort of significance to the fact that when Slavchad, the way we understand it is the way when Slavchad left Mitzrayim, he already was worthy to inherit something in Eretz Yisrael. The exact way in which that inheritance would be divided up would be decided later on. So when the girls came, his daughters came and said, well, what about the inheritance of our father? The psak was, the psak of Shamayim, was that the daughter should inherit the land, which is really the inheritance of their father. Otherwise, that inheritance would disappear from the world. There wouldn't be anybody to, there wouldn't be anybody to inherit it. So that was the decision. Pasukimu, Vayu lechad be b'nei shivtei b'nei Yisrael in Hashim, V'nigra'a nachalatam in nachalat avotein, V'nosafal nachalat ha-mateh, Asher tiyene lehem, V'migoral nachalateinu yigareya. So they come with a, with a shayla. They said the whole point of giving the land allocation to Benot Slavchad was that Slavchad should not lose out. Right? Slavchad, I mean, you could see it on a practical level. You could see it on a more uh, mystical, religious level that since he was one of the Yotze Mitzrayim, he deserved to get something in Eretz Yisrael. But if the daughters would not inherit, then he wouldn't get anything in Eretz Yisrael. Right? That was the problem. So Moshe Rabbeinu put, took the question to heaven and in heaven they said, give it to the girls. The Benot Tzlavchad should inherit the land that would originally have belonged to Tzlavchad. Okay, that's what, it's, that's what the decision is. A law comes come there, the men of the tribe, and they say, we don't understand <laughs> but when these girls get married and they get married to some guy maybe there's no limit they can get married to a guy who's from a different shaven from a different tribe so if they get married to a, to a guy from a different tribe because if they have a son if those two have a son then the son will inherit the father right and the father and the mother their joint property is going to be inherited the joint property is going to be inherited by the by the son who is a member of the tribe of X he's not a member of the tribe of Menashe he's a member of the tribe of Yisachar he's a member of the tribe of of Yehuda whatever he is so that at the end the result will not be accomplished, they say. They say, after all, the whole point was to make sure that Tzlavchad gets his inheritance as it stays within the tribe of Tzlavchad. But, but they, they were not protected. Because if these girls marry somebody who's not a member of our tribe, then eventually the inheritance of Tzlavchad will pass from our tribe to some other tribe. So that the intention of the psak that Moshe Rabbeinu gave will be lost. That's what they came to say. Now, this is a very reasonable argument. This is uh, called a birur in the Beit Din. Yeah. Was their concern as much as 
Did they would lose the nachal of their father or their tribe? The tribe. The tribe. The, the nachal of the father is protected because it passes down to the daughters. Right? It's in the family. But now they say it's a wild card. We don't know who the daughters are going to marry. They can marry anybody. You can marry anybody from any tribe. So if they marry somebody from the tribe of Yehuda and they have a son, then the parents die. So who gets the who gets the nachla? The kid who the young man who is a member of the tribe of Yehuda. So that piece of land that was originally in the Benatra territory, they put up a flag and they say, This is Yehuda. This belongs to Yehuda. I mean, it was, that's, that's the way it happens. So, so the people from Menashe, the people from Menashe come to complain. What are they really saying? That the original Psak of Moshe Rabbeinu, which was to give the daughters of Tzlavchad the inheritance, the purpose of that was in order to maintain the inheritance in the tribe of Menashe. Because that itself is not going to keep the, the, the inheritance of the tribe of Menashe, but is going to uh, do the opposite. It's going to almost ensure, because uh, even if it's first generation, it doesn't happen, but it can happen in the next generation. The next generation, it'll, it'll happen eventually. So that, that's, what, that's what they say. Pasuk Dalit. Pasuk Dalit. Oh, see, if you look at Rashi, her, her son will inherit. And of course, the son belongs to the Shevet of his father. That's called Yichos, right? Uh, y- whether somebody is Jewish or not is determined by the mother. But the Yichos, like are you a Kohen or a Levi or Yisrael, that's determined by the the father, so that the shevet, the shevet that you belong to, is determined by the father. So the son of one of the benot Salafchad and Ploni is going to belong to the tribe of Ploni. And therefore his inheritance will also belong to the tribe of Ploni. It's a piece of land, so he says there's no provision. So suddenly the, the tribe of Ploni owns land in our place. Where we live, this is what this is what they said to Moshe Rabbein. Then pasuk uh, Dalid, pasuk pasuk Dalid. Vimi yeyovel of Nebi Yisrael, v'nosfan nachalatan al nachalat hamatesh et yena lehem, u'minachalat matel v'otehem yigara nachalatan. Then they say we also learned the halachas of of Yovel. Right, we learned the halachas of Yovel in the parish of Bahar. And so we know that in Yovel everything goes back to the, to the original owner. The original owner here is the husband who, go, who comes from that other tribe. So he says, either we'll, we'll lose it from inheritance or we'll lose it on the, on the Yovel. We'll, lose it, we'll use it on the, on the Yovel year. Pasuke. Uh, Pasuke. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, this is kind of a mundane thing. We're talking about a Shaila, Dine Mamonot. Maybe it's about Eretz Israel, so it's a little different than regular Dine Mamonot. But it's, that's what it, we're really talking about. You know, who, that the, that the Shevet has, has, an, has an interest here. Not only does the individual have an interest, but the Shevet also has an interest. 
he says, "V'zadavar, Avaytzav Moshe b'nei Yisrael al pi Hashem leimor, Kain mateb b'nei Yosef dovrim." Kain, Kain mateb b'nei Yosef dovrim sounds like it means they're right. They're right. What are they right about? So, what exactly are they right about? Well, yes, they're right. Well, I don't know if it's a ta'ana. It was. They're right that this is going to happen. They're right that yes, that's what's going to happen. It doesn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu has to do something about it. You know, what's he supposed to do anyway? What's Moshe Rabbeinu supposed to make shaduchim? He's supposed to be in charge of who the Benot Slavchad marry. I mean, is that what is that what he's supposed to do? I mean, there's something you're right. You've described correctly what might happen. There's also propinquity. You know, that's a, that's a word that I learned once, many years ago, in the context of Shidduchim. So there's propinquity. Propinquity means that sometimes you just marry the person you're sitting next to. If you sit next to them for a long time, I mean. Not to say you'll just sit next to them by, by accident. What? <laughs> well, if they don't have mixing and you're sitting next to them, that's a different kind of problem. <laughs> I don't know. So he says, Zehadavar, Pasuk Vav, Zehadavar, Asher Siva Hashem Livnot Slavchad Leimor, Letov Beinehem Ti Beinehem Ti Yenelinashim. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Okay, I'm the shatchan. Right? I'll be the obiter dictor. You could only marry people from the same shevet." He said that to Benot Slavchad. They didn't say anything. They didn't say we don't like them. We do like them. There are too too many of them. They didn't say anything. This was the decision of Moshe Rabbeinu. Loti sov v'loti sov nachala livnei Yisrael mimatel mate. That's the psak. There's some sort of importance, Moshe Rabbeinu says, that the Nachalot should not be rent asunder from the Shevet. And in order to do that, we're going to declare a limit on the Shaduchim. Right? The Shaduchim can only be in the tribe. It can't be from any place outside of the tribe. Great. I mean, look, the same thing is true today, right? Everybody wants their children to marry somebody who's exactly like they are. Now, in, in Yerushalayim, it's very interesting. Not like in Chutzlaretz, where you have to like, go a mile to find another Jewish person. But here, in, like in Yerushalayim, every neighborhood, everybody dresses differently. So, like, you could know immediately if you're, like, going out with somebody who's like your parents or not like your parents, right? Because it's, uh, it's not a profound kind of decision. It's like, it just... Uh, where do you buy your clothes? <laughs> and that's the end of it, you know, that I know. I know everything about the person. I mean, his political uh, card is, uh, is well known to me. And then, the Pasuk Chet says, So, Bosh Rabbeinu puts this in a general statement, that this is a good thing, that the Nachla that's given out to the tribes is something that's worth preserving and shouldn't be changed and so we can think about that also but before we get to that I want to see I want to see the end of the story and how the Gemara related to it Pasuk Tet Lo tisov nachalami matele mate achar ki ish v'nachalato yidbeku matot b'nei Yisrael so it's to say the same thing in different words yidbeku right the word davek 
is used to, like, you have to, you have to work hard at this. You have to keep the Nachala. You have to keep the Nachala in, in the right tribe. You have to, the division that's being made when you come to Eretz Yisrael is of significance. It has to be protected. We're not talking about any of that now. But if you, just, you just see it in the Psukim. I mean, it says it in the Psukim. Ka'asher tzila Hashem et Moshe ke'nasu b'not You know, those days, Shaduchim were a lot more perfunctory. You know, it was a, like if you had a shidduch with somebody it was the right height that was fine as long as because the parents decided whether everything else was okay so in those days so here the question was asked the Moshe Rabbeinu gave an answer and so the Benot Shlavchad they complied with the answer they all married cousins they all married their cousins in the same tribe and everything worked out very well and then Pasuk Yud Gimel there's this odd Pasuk which says Eila ha-mitzvot va-mishpatim asher tziva Hashem yad Moshe el b'nei Yisrael ba'avot mo'avo yadei you could think of like, what, are, what are the mitzvot and the mishpatim that God commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to teach b'nei Yisrael so they say Shabbos no, not Shabbos. Tefillin? No, not, not Tefillin. It's like, uh, this, this is a, what God commanded, Moshe Rabbeinu, that uh, watch out for the Nachala. Make sure you got the Shaduchim straight. And that's, that's what you have to know before you go to Eretz Yisrael. That's Avot Moab, Avot Mother. The Jews are about to enter Eretz Yisrael. Even though we have a whole book of the Torah left, that book of the Torah, Tvarim, was said in a very short period of time. So this is the story. This is the story. Now let's see what the Gemara makes of the story. Okay. Uh, is this just for first years and first generation? Who knows? We we'll look at the Gemara. Yeah, yeah, I understand. How could any girls participate in this sort of free for all? You married one of me to... There were, there were, I guess there were no Shvatim at that time. So there must be, there's a point of... I mean, well, there are no Shvatim. I mean, you can't... Uh, there was only one Shevet. I mean, even Shimon and Binyamin, that were always under the control of Yehuda, seemed to have disappeared. Right? In Eretz Yisrael, after the return after Ezra came back to Eretz Yisrael there are no Shvatim even though it still says that in the Megillah's Esther that uh, Mordechai belonged to a Shevet right? but when they came back to Eretz Yisrael I mean the dating of, of Megillah's Esther as you know is a little problematic that means I don't know what it is <laughs> That's what you, the way you say that so you want to sound good is you say it's problematic but what I mean to say is that I have no idea of what the dating is. Now let's look at the Gemara. This is Baba Basra. We want to look at line 8. You see line 8? The Gemara is pretty easy. We should be able to, uh, to go through it. Line 8. Tana Devei Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Ishmael was a great Tana. And, uh, you know, a, a friend and and uh, one who argued uh, many times with Rabbi Akiva and uh, he had a school Tana Devei Rabbi Ishmael this was taught 
in the house of Rabbi Yishmael. Benot Tzlavkad Shkulot Hayu Each was equal to the other. Shenemar Batiyena Havaya Achat Lekula They all went through the same they all went through the same story. This happened to all the not to one of the daughters, but to all of the daughters. Omar Rav Yehuda Omar Shmuel. Shmuel, you know, is the first generation of Emoraim. Right, so that the comment, Rabbi Yehuda, is later than Shmuel, and said, many of the main wrote in the name of Shmuel, are said by Rabbi Yehuda. So, you have Tana Devei Rabbi Ishmael, he said something about Benot Zlavchad, and then uh, Rabbi Yehuda Omar Shmuel, they're going to say something about Benot Zlavchad. That's line 9. And they say, Benot Zlavchad who threw that in fact the psaq of Moshe Rabbeinu was that B'nai Tzlavchad could marry anybody in any of the any of the tribes right, you look it up in the Pasuk that's Pasuk Vav see the, the Pasuk Vav sort of is, says something contradictory what does that sound like? Marry anybody you want. Right? Marry anybody you want. Then the second part of the Pasuk is, where is it? But make sure that you only marry somebody from the same tribe. So it sounds like there are two different statements made in the Pasuk they contradict each other. So you look at the Gemara. The Gemara says, again, Rabbi Yudha Mashmur, line 9, Benot Tzlavchadu truly nasei l'kol ha-shvatim shenemar letov be'einehem tiyena l'nashim. Ela ma'ani mekayem. This is Gemara lingo. Ela ma'ani mekayem means how can I support? How can I understand? How can I understand the continuation of the Pasuk? Right? How can you say both things? You have to Moshe Rabbeinu say, marry anybody you want, and then say, don't marry anybody you want. Only marry somebody in the same tribe. The Gemara says, line 10, the fifth word on the line, line 11, the second word, it's not a psaq. Not that you have to do this. But it's like Moshe Rabbeinu said, you can marry anybody you want. But I want you to know, I want you to know that the preferred thing is to marry somebody in your own tribe. So he says, They should only marry somebody who's proper. Somebody who's worthy. So of course, this, the way the Gemara reads the psukim, which is the way the psukim are written, even though we didn't read it that way, but I mean, the Gemara is better than we are. And the Gemara said, look, the Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say, do this. Because there is no such halacha. There's no halacha that, that limits who the girls can marry because they're going to inherit property. Ain't davar kazeh. 
But Moshe Rabbeinu said that since we're talking about the first generation, maybe. And since, uh, since uh, this is all coming up, maybe you'd be better off, he says to these girls, to avoid the problem. And you avoid the problem by marrying somebody in the same tribe. <laughs> now we're on, uh, we're on line 11. Motiv Rabbah. Right, motive Rabbah. So Rabbah had a had a question. <coughs> he says, in the pasuk of Yikra, Emor Alehem, Lo Tam Omdim Al Har Sinai, Lidorotechem. He says, Emor Lehem, Lidorotechem. That's what the pasuk says. Elu Dorot Habaim. So, in other words, there's a pasuk in the Torah. Where Emorlahem tell them the halacha is followed by Lidoro Tehem, meaning this is going to be true for all the generations. Which, which kind of means that it may be you have to say that. That in the Torah there are things that are true for one generation, and there are true things that are true for all generations. So you have a possible sense, Emorlahem Lidoro Tehem, Lidoro Tehem means forever. Elu dorot habaim, im no maravot, lavanem abanim, im no marabanim, lo no maravot. Mesh yesh baavot, mesh ein bebanim, yesh bebanim, mesh ein baavot. Kavot uomer, baavot uomer. There are different kinds of moments in the Torah. Sometimes the Torah says something only for the first generation, the avot, and sometimes the Torah says something for all the generations, the banim. What's the example? The example is in our parsha. The kol bat yoreshet nachala. Kol bat yoreshet nachala. Right. This is in kol bat yoreshet nachala. It's pasuk chet. You see pasuk chet above. Kol bat yoreshet nachala. Mimatot bnei Yisrael lechad mishpachot mateav aviat yedelisha. So all these daughters of Tzlavchad who are going to inherit nachala should marry somebody from the same tribe. That's what it says. So here, here the Gemara says, the Gemara says, line 14, Kol bat yoreshet nachalat, the Torah says, that this psak is about the first generation, the generation of the bat yoreshet nachalat. He says, Vabay mitzvot nitztavu banim shalom nitztavu avot. There are sometimes mitzvot are for the future generations, not for the first generations. Hab mitnei sheyesh ba'avot, sheyem ba'banim, sheyesh ba'banim, sheyem ba'avot. In other words, there's some kind of, uh, the, the Gemara doesn't tell us what it is, but there's some reason to differentiate the avot and the banim. So sometimes mitzvot are for the avot and not for the banim. Sometimes for the banim and not for the, not for the avot. Uh, so now, Kitani Mihat, Bavotu Omer, we're line 16. Behold, Bat Yoreshet Nachala. So he says, here it says, Behold, Bat Yoreshet Nachala. That's only for the first generation. Motiv Lavu Mivarikla. He asks the question and he answers the question. Levar mi benot slavchad. That everything that this rule excludes benot slavchad. So that's the opinion of Mar. Mar is an Amora, an unknown Amora. He says, no other Rabba. That when Moshe Rabbeinu said what he said to the Benot Slavchat, he said, you. He said something against the Halacha. 
It's against the halacha, but it was good for political reasons or other reasons. But it was not, not against the halacha. It wasn't halachically mandated. He didn't have to tell the girls to marry somebody in their own shevet. If they married somebody in the other shevet, okay, so whatever happened, what happened? That's what the Gemara says. Oh my You see Zehadavar in Pasuk 6? Pasuk 6. Zehadavar How could you say? It's Zehadavar. This is the command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How can you say it's only for one generation? Zehadavar. That's like a, like a, a tremendous emphasis, right? You know that Zeh is, is, a, is, a, is a pronoun of pointing. That's what emphasis is. It's not, you don't just say a cup of wine, but you say this cup of wine. This cup of wine is more important than a cup of wine. That's a pronoun of pointing. So if the Torah says Zehadavar, that means, wow, this is really something. This is really a, 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 a regulation. So look, it says Zehadavar. Davar lo in other words, it's, it's the opposite. Zehadavar means like it's only this case. It's only this case that I'm talking about. So the word Zehadavar, according to the Gemara, according to the, it is, the Gemara has this problem. What about Benot Slavchat? Are they a model, or are they only for one generation? So the Gemara generally thinks that it's only for the one generation, and and furthermore, furthermore, uh, uh, the word zehadavar imply, according to the Gemara, that it's only for this particular moment. So a person could ask, having learned the pesukim as we did, we learned the Rashi. Now we look at the Gemara. He says, "Well, why did the Torah tell us this?" If, if this was an ad hoc solution to a non-problem, I just say it's a political problem, but it's not a real problem. Because in the real, in the world of real, the, the girls inherited the land, and they could marry whoever they wanted. And if it makes a balagan, so it makes a balagan. I mean, what's the, what's the nafkimine? What's the nafkimine? What is it that we are... What is it we are talking about here? When I, when I ask, what are we talking about? And saying, like, I mean, this is the Torah that's speaking to us. I mean, why would the Torah take time, take such time, <coughs> to teach us something which will never happen again, and which might not have even happened in those days? It's just that the, the Benot Slavchad agreed. I mean, what could you take away from this learning of the Torah? From this teaching, this parasha in the Torah? In order to understand that, in order to understand that, I want to look at the introduction of the Ramban to the book of Bamidbar. Now, you know that the Ramban wrote an introduction to all the books of the Torah. And this is like an innovative idea. Uh, most Mephoshim did not write introductions to the books of the Torah. The Ramban did. And that means that... Uh, 
one of the things that that means is that the Ramban thought that each of the books of the Torah was graced with an overriding theme like you could say the book of Ayikra what is it about and that the answer to that question is meaningful and that the answer to that question is the answer to a larger question which is why was the Torah as received by us divided into Sparim after all Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah and he wrote it down in the desert one way or the other right so Machlokas and the Gemara and Gittin either he wrote it down little bit by little bit during the 38 years as he taught it he wrote it down or he taught it for 38 years at the end of the 38 years he wrote the whole Torah those are the two those are the two possibilities as brought down in the Gemara in Gittin but and that doesn't answer the question of why they were Sfarim why was the why was the why was the Torah divided up into Sfarim and you know that in a Sefer Torah there's a graphic representation of this division right there's a split a space between Bereshit and Shemot Shemot of Vayikra Vayikra Bamidbar indicating that a book has ended and another book has started the Jews who uh, never have enough uh, joy at uh, making up little uh, comments for themselves even declare chazak chazak v'nit chazak at the end of each book which indicates yay I finished something right even though we have simcha Torah which says yay I finished the whole Torah but I also have a little simcha when I finish each book of the Torah and, uh, and the question of course is why? why were there five books of the Torah? so the answer that the Raman gives is because each book has an overriding theme which is of special importance and is not something which is obvious it's not something obvious from reading the parashiyot in the Torah you can read the parashiyot of the Torah and you can think that they're just disconnected things from each other even though some of them are connected of course but you won't get the bigger idea unless you're forced to think on it and that's what the Ramban did he thought about it so let's look at the introduction of the Ramban to the book of Bamidbar what does he think what does the Ramban think about the book of Bamidbar and I have to tell you to remind you of that that had the Jews not sinned in the parish of Shlach, right, the, the Miraglim, they would have come right into Eretz Yisrael. In other words, the end of the Torah would really have been the parasha of Bechukotai, which is the parasha of the covenant, the original agreement between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and B'nai Yisrael, which was finally supplanted, apparently, whether it was supplanted halachically or not, but it was supplanted by the new agreement in the parish of Kitavo, which was right before they came into, into Eretz Yisrael. So look at the Ramban. Look what the Ramban says. The Ramban is on the second page. The Ramban says, Achar Shabi'er Torah HaKormanot. The Sefer Hashvishim. The third book of the Torah is called Torah Kohanim. 
right? It's called Vayikra, but it's also called Torat Kohanim, and it has a lot of information about the Mishkan, the Korbanot in the Mishkan. Itchil atale sader b'sefer azeh, ha-mitzvot shenitztavu binyan oil mo'ed. Okay, so they were mitzvot that were connected to Ol Mo'ed. Ol Mo'ed is a synonym for the Mishkan. Right, the Mishkan had the Ol Mo'ed sort of in the middle of it. Now, it's true that if you look carefully in the Chumash, there's an Ol that's not part of the Mishkan, but that's, you know, we know that that's the case. But Ol Mo'ed in this, in this paragraph equals the Mishkan. The Jews built the Mishkan at the end of the book of Shemot. So the book of Ayikra, now that you have a Mishkan, the book of Ayikra tells you what about the Mishkan. And the most important halacha that it's going to teach us, that the Mikdash has a special status. Tumat Mikdash means you can't go to the Mikdash whenever you want. You have to be um, you have to be proper. As a proper to go to the big day, you have to follow the halacha. Vata yagbil et hamishkan biyoto bamidbar kasher higbil har Sinai biyota kavod sham. And now yagbil, the Torah creates creates limits, creates borders. Every person who wants to go to the Beit Hamikdash, well, why do you want to go? And what are you going to do there? Do you have a purpose? Are you bringing a korban? Are you? And and all of that, the Rabban reminds us, is similar to the Hagbalah of Har Sinai. The Rabban had this theory that Har Sinai moved over to the Mishkan, and that's why we don't commemorate Har Sinai. That's why Har Sinai, as the Rabbi Bachai explains, doesn't exist in our memory as a place. It doesn't exist in our memory as a place. Everybody who was here during the Six Day War, which uh, I guess is not too many of us, everybody who was here in Israel during the Six Day War remembers that one of the exciting thoughts that people had was we have captured our Sinai. Not only Sinai, the desert, but we captured Har Sinai, which we remembered was someplace in there. And then when we looked carefully, we saw that the Christian tradition, which was like the only tradition we had to go on, recognized two Har Sinais, and that they had um, that monasteries built on each one of them. And I remember that. Uh, that uh, Rav Gorin, I don't know how he he decided that one. You know, that way I'm going to go there at Shavuos. You know, Rav Gorin was a uh, was into the public expression of uh, the Jewish connection to Eretz Yisrael. So even though he poskened against the Ramban, because he said he said there's some value in going to Har Sinai. But forget about the fact that we don't know where Har Sinai is. But we'll pick one of them. Or I take two groups, put a one group here, one group there. I don't know. I don't know. It says, but, but the Ramban said, and the Rabbeinu Bechai explained, that Har Sinai doesn't exist for us. It's not a place that you make a pilgrimage to. 
a place you make a pilgrimage to, let's, let's say the, the Kotel. The Kotel you make a pilgrimage to. You go to the Kotel because you feel that it represents something that's different than any place else in the Jewish world. Right? The Kotel is special. But Har Sinai is not special. Because when the Jews left Har Sinai, Har Sinai moved over to the Mishkan. And whatever the Kedusha of Har Sinai was for that moment, it was all transferred to the Mishkan. And that's the theory of the Ramban. So if you would have told the Ramban in Hebron, we lived in Hebron, we lived in Yerushalayim, here, like, here's a ticket to Har Sinai, he wouldn't have gone. He said, what do you want to go to Har Sinai for? Har Sinai, like, had a job in history, and that's finished. There's no more Har Sinai. Har Sinai is an imagined idea. And it was transferred to the Beit HaMikdash. As the Ramban might say, that's why I came in Aliyah. I came in Aliyah to go to the Beit To be near the Beit HaMikdash, I didn't come to Aliyah to go to Har Sinai. But after the Six-Day War, you know, people were like a little drunk with happiness, and so they tried to squeeze a lot out of it. So one of the things they did was go to... It was, it's called Santa Catarina. If you want to look it up on a map, most maps it doesn't say Har Sinai. Right? It says Santa Catarina, which is the name of the monastery on the mountain, which traditionally is supposed to be Har Sinai. So he says that's the Ramban's theory. And he says, he says that just like at Har Sinai, not everybody could just run up the mountain, only, only Moshe Rabbeinu. The Aaron went a certain way, and the Narim, and the people were down at the bottom. The same thing is true <coughs> about the Mishkan. You can't just go into the Mishkan. That's the, that's the Har Sinai of the Mishkan. And then he says, so you see that there is this similarity between Har Sinai and the Mishkan. And so the beginning of the book of, of Ayikra, you know, spells this all out. This is all the beginning of Midbar, right? What the Kohanim are going to do and how they're going to take it apart, how they're going to put it together, who's going to carry what. All of this is about, is about Hagbalah. It's about a limit. It limits my ability to walk freely in the Mishkan. I can't do that. I can't walk freely in the Mishkan. So he says, uh, when, when, what should they do when, when they encamp and what should they do when they decamp so he says so, the Ramban is trying to get a hold of the idea. Like, what's the book of Midbar about? So, the first idea that the Ramban sees in the book of Midbar is this idea that it's a continuation of the Mishkan. Like, the Mishkan was built in the parish of, at the end of Shemot, and then the book of Ayikra is about what you do in the Mishkan, 
And the beginning of the book of Midbar is about the Hagbalah. Yeah. I don't understand his interpretation of Vayikra. It's only the first part of Vayikra. Okay, two of the Torah. The rest is the general matters. Okay, okay. I know, I know. So we have to look at his introduction of Vayikra. But as what he's doing is, he's saying that the first, I think what he's saying is that the beginning of the book of Amidbar is a nispach. It's an addendum. It comes after Shemot and Vayikra. So that means that that's not what the book of Amidbar is about. It was that's what he's trying to say. He's saying, look, you know, you may, maybe you went to school. You went to school and you had to learn about the Chanaya. Right? You remember those days? The teacher said, you know, there were three here and three there. And they asked you how they were when they went and how they were when they stood up. You know, this is all like, like the grist for the, for, for the middle of examination. This terrific examination, you could say. How did they do this? How did they do that? And what did Gershon do? And Kahat do? And Barari do? It's terrific. Teachers love this kind of stuff. But the Ramban is trying to tell us that that's not what Bamidbar is about. Because that is an addendum to what we already know about the Mishkan from Shemot, Vayikra, and then there's the beginning of Bamidbar. So what is the book of Bamidbar about? What is the book of Bamidbar about? So the answer to that question starts four lines, four lines from the bottom towards the, uh, the middle of the line by Sefer Hazeh. You see that? You see that, that those words by Sefer Hazeh? Those words for the Ramban are the beginning of the answer to the question. What's the question? What's the book of Bamidbar about? Right? In other words, again, I mean, what's the theme of the book of Bamidbar? which is so important that separates it as a book because all this business about the Mishkan that doesn't make Bamidbar worthy of being a separate book because that we know about that already it's just more details of things that we know so what is it that made Bamidbar its own book what is it unique what is singular about Bamidbar so here it is Hasefer Hazeh Kulo במצוות שעה שנצטעבו בהם במדם במדבר. You know what It's a tzivui that's not part of the Torah. You know how I know it's not part of the Torah? Because it can be against the Torah. When Eliyahu Hanavi was standing at Haraka Carmel. Haraka Carmel is in Haifa. And this is an advantage to being in Israel. But you can say Haraka Carmel when I was a kid, they told me Haraka Carmel. I thought it was like a candy bar. <laughs> so I, I had no idea. I don't know where Haraka Carmel is. I tell you that they grew up in Brooklyn, they tell you it's a Haifa. Haifa? Haifa is in Israel? Said, Who knew? Well, we didn't know anything, anything like that. So there's a, a deal told that after the build Beit HaMikdash is built, you can't give korbanot outside of the Beit HaMikdash. Din Torah. Who abrogated that Din Torah? Eliyahu who sacrificed on Har HaKarmel, which is in Haifa. And we all know that Haifa is not in Yerushalayim. Right? Because we live in Eretz Israel, so we, we got it. 
So in the Gemara, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Bible says, how could this be? He was a good cause. Yeah, 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 that he was doing to prove that God was stronger, better, tougher, more uh, devoted than the Bible. Okay, it's a good cause. But still, the Torah says you can't do it. So the Gemara said it's a Horaachah. Horaachah means that when you do it for a good cause, as long as it's clear to everybody that it's not replacing a mitzvah instead of the Torah, beyond the Torah, under the Torah, beside of the Torah, that it's just going to disappear, so that's okay. You can do it. And especially, uh, we are Navi, we said Navi, but Navi, the same Sunni of the Gemara, talks about what we call a Navi Sheker. It's very hard to know when a Navi is a Navi Sheker. Uh, because usually the Mishaker is somebody who is a Nabi but then he decides they didn't like that job so he wants to become a Mishaker but Stava person doesn't become a Mishaker he doesn't go and say God told me uh, that we should all go jogging around uh, the Havre so they put you away right? they don't say oh he's a Mishaker Mishaker has got to be somebody who convinced you that he's a Nabi right? so, so he is this is a Horatia Mitzvah means it's not part of the Torah. It's not part of a Mitzvah Rishah is not part of the Torah. It comes from God and it's commanded by God and it goes through Moshe Rabbeinu but it's not part of the Torah because it just comes to an end. It disappears. So according to the Rabban, I say for Azeh, again, four lines at the bottom, Kulob and Mitzvah Sha'ah Shinitzavu Bahem Bavdam Bamidbar. These are mitzvot that happened that were, that were done in the, in the midbar and then they disappeared. And miracles that just, that just came up that God helped the name Israel and that's, a, that's what the, the book of Bamidbar is, is, uh, is about. V'tzivah what do you have Who else did it? That was the end. There's no mitzvah to do it again. He says, And listen to this. The aim is safer, I said, mitzvot, no hagot, midorot. This is generally speaking. This is the book of mitzvot, she'ein no hagot, midorot. Tzat mitzvot. So I think tzat mitzvot, he says, okay, here and there you have a mitzvot about a korban, about things that have to be given to Beit HaMikdash. You have a few mitzvot like that. But generally speaking, the book which is the aggregate of directives, which are not mitzvot with the road, that's the main... The fact that there are other things in the book the Ramban says, there are a few mitzvot, and there are a few mitzvot about the Korbanot, and then there's some mitzvot about, about the Mishkan. So all of that doesn't count. Because then we have that already. What's special about the book of Amidbar is that there are mitzvot mishak. Mitzvot that are not real mitzvot. They're directives 
but no one has to do them again. It's not going to happen again. They're accidents. They're accidents. So you read this Ramban, when I read the Ramban, I have to say to myself, so what the Ramban is saying is that he's, he's referring to the punishment that B'nai Yisrael received after the Chet HaMaraglim in the book of Bamidbar. So we all know that the punishment was that they wandered around the desert for 38 years. In the beginning of Maseh, the second parsha that we read this Shabbat, Rashi says it wasn't so bad. If you count the number of times they actually moved, it was only 14 times. 14 times in 38 years, not so terrible. Right? So if it's not so terrible, so what was the punishment? So if I asked you that question on the short answer test, you would probably say that the punishment was, the punishment was that they died. All the people who were involved in the Cheta Eida, in Korach, in Bilal, they all died. And the people who were left were the next generation. So that really, you could say that the wandering around in the desert was not a punishment at all. It was not a punishment at all because it was just like spending the time. It was like time. Instead of God killing the people who didn't deserve to go to Eretz Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu let them all die. Which then, you see, if there weren't so many trips, the people all died a natural death. It doesn't seem that the whole operation was so terrible. But the Ramban tells us, the Ramban tells us that what happened to the Israel in the desert was they entered the world of the mundane. You know what the mundane is? You have a problem, you have to solve it. You know what the world of the Torah is? The world of the Torah is what's the ultimate activity that I can engage in at this moment? What, what, what is it? What's the mitzvah that will recreate the world as God perhaps wants it to be recreated that I can participate at this moment? So that's what the Ramban says. The Ramban says that this book of Bamitba, there were really no mitzvot. There's no engagement. The punishment that B'nai Yisrael, the punishment that B'nai Yisrael suffered in the desert was that if they were once flying with the eagles, they were no longer in that state. There were no eagles. There were only, you know, regular. It was only regular. The punishment that B'nai Yisrael suffered in the desert was that they were not in the same way under the protection of or being taught by or being changed by their relationship with the Bible as it began in Harsina. That all changed. And so the Genot Salakhar came to Moshe Rabbeinu. And they came to Moshe Rabbeinu with a kind of mundane question. Like, what should we do? I mean, they're right. But we would like to marry whoever we want to marry. We marry whoever we want. And the Gemara says, the Gemara explains this parasha as meaning 
what the question was meant to And the answer was for the Benot Slavcha. The answer had nothing to do with Halacha, and it's not going to appear in the Shulchan Aruch, and it's not something that you'll be able to decide future questions of inheritance by. Nothing. It's totally irrelevant. But that, according to the Word of God, is the life that B'nai Yisrael were leading in the desert. The punishment that B'nai Yisrael was suffering. The punishment was not that they took too many trips around the desert. And the punishment was not that there were plagues and that everybody died who deserved to die at a young age. That wasn't the punishment. The punishment was that everything became mundane. Everything became a little problem. There were no grand issues. And Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu had to deal with the mundane problems. And the mundane question that ends the book of, of Bamidbar is this question about who the Benot Slavat should marry. Which is a very interesting question. And should probably go to a marital counselor. Ideal probably should be dealt with in some way, but has nothing to do with what we call Torah, which gives us universal principles, timeless principles, ideas that evolve into the Shulchan Aruch. This is not one of those things. And so this book ends with that Pesach. Ends with that Pesach. And according to the Rambam, remember the last Pesach is, these are the kind of mitzvot and mishpatim that the Jews and Moshe Rabbeinu dealt with in the Midbar until they arrived in Arvot Moab. And so you know that the book of Tudarim is a departure from that. Contains hundreds of real, what we call real, essential kinds of mitzvot, and that's the Yerusha that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to leave with Bnei Yisrael. He didn't want them to go to Eretz Yisrael on the on the wings of this mundane life that they led for 38 years in the desert, but he wanted them to go to Eretz Yisrael carrying this tremendous weight of mitzvot that he was going to give them. So you see, the Rambam says that the book of Bamidbar has a name. It has, a the, it has a theme. It's, it's talking about something. It's talking about the essence of the punishment that the Nehi Israel received in their wanderings around the desert. And that was that their relationship to the Torah, to Akadosh to Moshe Rabbeinu, became very mundane. Very much about regular questions, regular issues, and not soaring uh, with the eagles. Have a good shot. Thank you.